welcome to another Scientology Fair Game episode, our podcast. Hello, Mikey. Hi, Lily. How are you today? I'm good. So today, we have a special guest. Mike, would you like to introduce her? Oh, I would love to introduce her, Leah. (laughs) Okay. Today, we are welcoming my wife, Christy Colbrand. And the reason that we are welcoming her is because... She has another perspective on on fair game uh, that's a little different than mine, I guess. Um, hi, Christy. Hi, everybody. Hi, Christy. Hi, Leah. Hi, Annie. Yes, because we always, uh, you know, we tell your story, Mike, because you're, you know, you're very public and and been very vocal about what you've experienced in Scientology, and Christy kind of gets just kind of lumped in. Right, with your story, but she has her own story, and she has her own special fair gaming story, uh, because Scientology is um, very giving in that department. Um, (laughs) They hand out uh, fair game as a little gift of departing this toxic cult. But but Christy, let's go over your background. Um, Yes, you are Mike's wife, but you are your own person, (laughs) and you were... Born into Scientology, um, and uh, well, so you were born into Scientology and and lived the Scientology life, indoctrinated into Scientology at a very young age. You attended a Scientology school, and then you joined the paramilitary arm of Scientology called the Sea Organization. And just for those who don't know, the Sea Organization is. Uh, the employees of Scientology. They are the ones who run Scientology organizations, administer Scientology to parishioners um, like me, and they sign billion-year contracts. They live uh, communally. They, they, Scientology feeds them. They clothe them. They take care of their, mili- their, their, military, their medical needs with, with vitamins and quack uh, children pretending to be medical officers in Scientology, but basically Scientology is raising you. Is that is that correct, Christy? It's it, you no longer connected even to your Scientology parents at this point once you join the Sea Org. It's totally correct. And when I joined, I was only sixteen, so I was a minor, and I had to be, you know, kind of given over as a minor to to the Sea Org. So my parents were no longer really taking care of me. I was put into like a really pathetic Scientology school for uh, that I would go to on the weekends, which was, you know, a couple hours here and there. And sometimes we'd miss it because it didn't matter. What really mattered was getting the work. Yeah. Getting the work done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, you know, I was still a school aged girl. Mm -hmm. And when I joined, so for sure, I'm like, there were things I wanted to talk to my parents about and I got in trouble for talking to them. Like that was considered, you know, not okay. You don't tell your parents anything. They don't need to know what's going on here. This is all between you and the Sea Org. Right. And, and Scientology parents understand that once they give their children over to Scientology, I mean, uh, Sea Org children would write internal reports on their Scientology parents if their Scientology parents would start to complain to their children, like, I don't see you anymore. What are these yeah. hours you're working? Because hours for a Sea Org child is 8 a.m. to midnight. It, it doesn't matter how old you are. No one's, and people ask us all the time, why is no one reporting it? Who the fuck do you think is reporting it? Like, 
who's going to report Scientology to the authorities, the Scientology parents that sent their children to the Sea Org, and they look at sending their children off to the Sea Org as a noble deed, that you are, they're sacrificing their children for the good of mankind. Right, Mike? I mean, that's that's the mentality. It's like an honor. It's an honor, right, right. So nobody's reporting. And what child is going to go to the authorities going, hey, they're not making me go to school? Believe me, children of the Sea Org are not going to report. I mean, children outside of Scientology wouldn't report to the authorities that I'm not going to school. What what child do you know wants to be going to school eight hours a day? You know what I mean? And if the parents, yeah, yeah. if the parents are going to report anything, they're going to report it back to to Scientology. So, like, that's what happened to me. I, I told my mom how excited I was. Oh, my God, we got to do an all-nighter. It was so awesome because I was, like, a zealot little teenager. Like, woohoo! this is so cool. I get to not sleep all night. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I, I was a teenager. Teenagers are dumb. They do stupid things and think it's awesome. So that's what I, you know, that's what was happening. And I told my mom because I was excited. And she wrote a report and sent it into them saying, you know, why is this okay that my daughter's not sleeping at night? And then I got pulled in and I was in trouble. So that, that was the handling. It, you know, it all goes in internally. Everything's handled internally. And then the handling was, shut up, Christy. Don't say anything to your parents. Right, right. So you're, you're indoctrinated at a young age to accept this kind of abuse and to be groomed to, to be this kind of uh, unfeeling, <laughs> disconnected from your family, even your Scientology family disconnected from the world and you're fully indoctrinated into we're clearing the planet. And now, you know, as a child, you're given this fake military uniform with a lanyard and the, the epaulets and you think you're in the military. You think you're, you're saving mankind. Yeah. You think you're, you're hot shit and you think you're the elite of the world. And again, even creating more of a divide between you and your Scientology parents, even though they're Scientologists, you still think they're losers because they're not really doing the work of a Sea Org member. And so it it creates more of a divide between reality and, and yes, well, between reality and what, Mike? What would you say? (laughs) Reality and the bubble. Correct. So you went to the international base in 1996 and were around David Miscavige. Um, and then take us from there, Christy. Yeah. So in 1996, I was, um, I went there to be part of a training, um, activity that was going on where a bunch of us were being sent out, um, to take over command of different organizations across the planet. So I was trained um, and was eventually sent to the Continental Office in New York that was running the Eastern United States. And mm-hmm. so I worked there for a while. Um, but yeah, that sort of was just my first experience with seeing David Miscavige, um, you know, up close and what he was like and um, how much control he had and how much he ran every little thing and was involved with all the details. And what's wrong with that? I mean, he is the leader, he is the commander-in-chief, he is chairman of the board, Christy. Yeah. Shouldn't he be running things? uh, Yeah, I suppose. Um, No, I mean, really, the answer is, the reason why I'm being sarcastic, Christy, and it's kind of a trick (laughs) question... So you and your buddy, what's his name? Marty Rathbun. Marty Rathbun. Yeah. He, David Miscavige likes to claim he knew nothing about what was going on, 
right? He claims that he is not part of fair game, that he doesn't direct these activities of fair game. Right. For example, we were all brought together in a room and, you know, he stared us down with all of his entourage and basically said the reason why we haven't been fired yet, meaning the reason why we haven't been sent out to where we're supposed to go and why we're still here and we've been here so long and we should have been fired months ago is because there's people within our group that are suppressives and we're going to find them and we're going to weed them out. So we all had to be put on the e-meter, interrogated, and you're internalizing this whole thing going, God, is it me? Did I do something? Am I a horrible, bad person that's slowing down this important project? And um, eventually, in the end, people were figured out like, okay, it's this guy and that guy and that guy. They're the suppressives. They're the ones that are holding us back. They were humiliated in front of the group. They were sent out to be to go do manual labor. People were taken off their positions and treated really, you know, evilly and mean. And it was like you're sitting. I was like 19 years old. Right. <laughs> this right. like little 19 year old girl going holy fucking shit, you know? And here's David Miscavige, you know, yelling at people and taking them off their positions, degrading them, making them feel bad and humiliating them in front of everybody. That's when two senior executives that are very well known, um, which is Guillaume LeServe and I think it was Ray Midoff. They were two senior executives in Scientology that all the parishioners knew and loved were taken off their posts and made to run around and do manual labor and treated like dogs. Right. And I witnessed that. Like, I saw that and I thought to myself, this is, you know, I don't know what I thought to myself. You know, of course, I was well, still I, what you, what, what you brainwashed. Thought, yeah, but, well, you know. what you probably thought is what we all thought, right? It was what, what Mike thought, what, what Guillaume Lazare thinks it, is, is they deserved the, it. That they or, deserved it. Yeah. And, you know, is standing in the way of clearing the planet and saving mankind, this is all justified. Right. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's not even yeah. that big a deal. Right. Like, that someone gets humiliated or is made to do gross manual labor, cleaning toilets with a toothbrush or whatever, mm-hmm. is like, Physically so abused. what? What's the big deal? It's like, you get compared used to, to it. saving mankind, this is not right. like that. This is and that, that was sort important? of my first, yeah, that was sort of my first taste of like, okay, this is what it really means to be a Sea Org member. Like, we have to be willing to be, you know, completely humiliated, treated terribly, and carry on every day, just keep on doing the job. Right. The word is abused. I mean, I know this yes. is not a word that you're used to saying, Christy, but, <laughs> you know, the, you were groomed to be abused, and you were so groomed true. to abuse. So if Scientology, uh, you know, oftentimes they, they try to say that we were, you know, this or that, the things that we were groomed to be. I mean, this is true. We were groomed to be, to take abuse. We were groomed to be abusive. And that is Scientology, and that is what they teach, and that is what they will continue to teach. Um, until something's done about it. And hopefully we are making, I I know that we are making headway in this department. I mean, people are not fooled by Scientology. And I don't think that everybody gets that part, that it's a day in, day out grooming. Right. And I looked at things in my experience in Scientology differently. You know, I would say the words L2D when referring to my boss in Scientology having sex with with a minor. It was just said to us that he cheated on his wife, not that right. he molested a child. Right. Yeah, that he broke the rules of the group. And it's like, well, what does that mean? 
Well, no, he didn't really break the rules of the group because there is no rules of the group. There is no rules of the group, Christy. <laughs> well, just meaning whenever in the Sea Org, there's in the Sea Org, there's rules of the group that are, you know, you don't you don't break these out 2D rules. Right. And so then if you break them, that's out 2D and they're based on whatever these specific rules are. These rules are, hey, you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. Right. Oh, these rules are, hey, all right, so uh, you don't want to be married to this one? Go marry that one. Marriage is not an important thing in Scientology. You only marry people in the Sea Org so that you could live not in a dorm right. and maybe have sex once every three years, but that's a normal marriage. But, you know, um, interpersonal relationships are not important in Scientology. You're... Familial ties are not important in Scientology, even if they're Scientologists. So uh, relationships between each other are, they're not valued. They're just, there's no value in, in relationships because it would strengthen uh, something in you that they don't want, right? Which is you not being fully and 100% um, loyal and reliant on Scientology. Well, that's absolutely true. The group, the group ethnic or the group mm. ethic or the group relationship is what is important. Your relationship to Scientology trumps everything when, particularly when you're in the Sea Org. Correct. That is the only thing that matters is your dedication and loyalty and uh, willingness to uh, do whatever is needed for the good of Scientology, that's the only thing that counts. And you're right. Mm -hmm. Personal relationships detract from that. They yeah. are seen as a, as a, a something that may pull you away right. from your 100% devotion and dedication to the right. organization. Right. Because let's say Christy called her mother when she joined the Sea Org and said, Mom, I want to leave the Sea Org. Her mother's first instinct would be to call the Sea Org and say, my daughter is saying she wants to leave. Then she would be submitting her daughter to interrogations on the Scientology lie detector, the e-meter. You would be punished for having communicated that to your mother. And your mother wouldn't receive you, most likely, if you ran away and went to your mother right. for, um, for comfort. I mean, if you left without them telling you you can leave, you would get in trouble, and so would your Scientology mother and father. Yeah, I would have been sent right back. Go Correct. back to them and fix it. Stay right. there until it's fixed, and you're not welcome here until this is resolved, you know, based on how they want it to be resolved. And Christy, did you ever report to the authorities once you left Scientology what was going on with you as a child, the hours that you were working, that you weren't going to school, all no. of the... You didn't. No, when, no, when I left, I was mm -hmm. originally when I left the Sea Org, I was still trying to remain in good standing with the church so that I could continue to have my family in my life. Right. So because I, even though you leave the Sea Org doesn't mean you leave Scientology. In Scientology, if you leave the Sea Org, you can route out, as they call it, properly, which means you confess to, to crimes you didn't commit. And then you sign paperwork and do a video where you go, yeah, everything was great. Everything was great. I had the greatest time ever in the Sea Org. Nothing bad ever happened to me. No laws are broken. And I'm fantastic and totally okay with the group. And yeah, then they and let you leave. Go ahead. <laughs> and not only that, but if anything was bad, it was my fault. And here's all the bad things I did that they have on me. Here's all the collateral. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. So right. just in case 
I do decide to speak out about it, they have all this bad dirt on me. And if I do decide to speak out on it, I also will owe this huge bill that they're now going to say that, you know, I can't, you're not allowed to speak out. And if you do, we're going to, you know, sue you for this much money or whatever here, sign here. And right, only right. if you sign here, are you allowed to leave? And this and is a video and there's right. a lawyer in the room. And right. so you are completely intimidated. And all you want to do is sign and say anything and promise anything so you can get out the door. Right. And, and many people have done it. And many people will do it just to leave and to keep their family intact because most of these people are coming from Scientology families. And because they were in the Sea Org and sequestered from any family outside of Scientology or friends outside of Scientology, they have to rely on their Scientology parents to take them in and to help them to build a life for them. Because like you said, Chrissy, none of us really had an education. Our education was basically in Scientology, to, you know, right. being taught Scientology, and we have no, nothing to fall back on. Yeah, and um, then despite yeah. doing all of that, despite mm. following those rules and doing the best I could to stay in good standing, I became aware of even more of what was going on um, that I didn't know, that I didn't see with my own eyes. Oh, I learned course. more after I left and decided, okay, I don't want anything to do with Scientology at all. I want to leave completely, not right. just the Sea Org, but I want to leave Scientology. I don't want to have anything to do with this church. Right. And I tried to do that sort of you know, under the radar, as we sometimes use that phrase, yeah. quietly. And that was really hard. Um, and so eventually, I lost my family anyway, my entire family disconnected my mother and father, my brother and sister, all the friends I knew, everyone I'd ever grown up with for my entire life, um, cut me out of my life. And that was, you know, even despite trying to not let that happen, it still right. happened. Right. Well, let's go back a little bit. You left the you left the Sea Org in two thousand six. Yeah. Uh, you were still in the Sea Org when you got pregnant. I was in the Sea Org. I got pregnant uh, basically intentionally. I always wanted to have children, and we, my ex husband and I, wanted to leave. He had now, been- so your husband. So you married um, your your ex husband uh, in the Sea Org. I, my okay. ex-husband, Chris, and I okay. were married while I was in the Sea Org. We were together okay. in the Sea Org. And we both. And how wanted, old were you? Um, I got married when I was like 21 to mm-hmm. him. And so I was 29, I think, mm-hmm. when I could have those years wrong. But anyway, I was, I was 29 when I left the Sea Org. So you got pregnant in Sea Org. I mean, I, I thought they don't allow um, Sea Org members to get pregnant. Yeah, they don't. You're not allowed to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have babies. But of course, that does happen. People get pregnant. And mm-hmm. if you get pregnant, they send you away. You're kicked out. Or as many people have um, gone through, they pressure you to have an abortion. My ex-husband yeah. worked even more closely with David Miscavige than me. Okay. And he was he witnessed things that I didn't see with my own eyes. So he witnessed some of David Miscavige's, you know, underlings, Jenny DeVocht, for example, a specific person, slapped somebody in the face. And he went to the free winds and saw senior executives like Mike Rinder um, in the bilges, you know, being treated as if they were suppressive persons. Um, Norman Starkey, some of these other top senior executives that people know, some people know who they are. 
um, he saw all of that and he, he really figured out that he wanted to leave. They also were telling him he was going to get promoted to the international base. And he was like, hell no, I don't want to be there after what I witnessed. So he so, started seeing the abuses that were being, uh, put upon senior executives of Scientology. He started to witness the abuse himself. He started to witness it, and then he was told, and also, you are being moved up to, to work at this base. Where so all not, the abuses were, were mainly taking place, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, you're, you've been chosen. You're moving up to the top now. And he said, that's the top? Like, this is, you know, this is, I don't want to be here. So him and I were working in South Africa. He went to the int base. He saw all of that. He came home. And I would have expected him to be like, wow, it was amazing. I saw this amazing stuff at the top where it's supposed to be the best, where we're supposed to be using this amazing L. Ron Hubbard technology to create this amazing world. And the first thing he said to me was, we got to get the hell out of here. I want to leave this. You know, the things I saw at the top are worse than anything I've ever witnessed. And he explained to me some of what he saw. And so we decided we wanted to leave. Um, there's kind of more to it. He was trying to leave for a really long time. He was being interrogated on the e-meter for months and months and months. And they basically made it so difficult that he changed his mind and said, okay, I'll stay. Like it was just pressure, so much pressure. And we were separated. We weren't allowed to be together. He was taken to LA. I stayed in South Africa. It was this long drawn out, painful process where eventually we both said, okay, we want to stay. And we finally were reunited. We were able to be together. We were able to talk again. We hadn't talked to each other for months. They separated us. Um, so finally we were able to talk again and, and be together. And I could tell that he still wanted to leave. He, right. he had just done all of that so that he could talk to me again. Right. Um, and so I said to him, they're never going to let you leave. They're going to keep interrogating you as they have done for almost six months. They're going to continually do this to you unless we find another solution. And so the, I said, let's, why don't, it was my idea. I said, why don't we have a baby? Let's get pregnant. And then we'll keep it a secret, which I did. I kept it a secret for two and a half months, as long as I felt comfortable keeping it a secret. That was really hard keeping it yeah. a secret. And then, um, eventually I, we told them and I did that so that I would avoid the pressure to have abortion. I didn't right. want to have an abortion. I didn't want to be talked into it. And I was afraid of my will and my right. strength to fight. I was afraid right. they would put so much pressure on me that I would just give in and just be like, okay, I'll do it. And I didn't, I wanted to avoid that at all costs. So because I, Christy, you had seen this over and over again, women being forced to abort their children, right? That you, that didn't want to. Yes, I had yes. seen it. I had heard of it from friends. I knew of people that had, you know, and when that happens, not only are you getting an abortion, but you're also like, you're persona non grata. You're in trouble. You're in the mm. doghouse. You're a piece of shit. Everyone looks mm. at you like you're so bad. It's not, not be, just not, like, not because you are uh, aborting your child, but because you, you because, had gotten pregnant. Because, yeah, because you've gotten yeah. pregnant and potentially mm. were about to leave the group and mm. abandon your post. Right, and there's nothing the more important than what we're doing here. And how could you dare go off and, and let that happen? Right. So you tell them that you're pregnant and you want to leave. Yeah. So um, I told them I'm pregnant. I want to leave. And 
so we were somehow we managed to avoid the conversation about abor- abortion that didn't mm-hmm. it didn't get brought up for mm-hmm. Chris and I and we are we you know we're sent to a little tiny room in the bottom of the building where we were under guard by security and we're basically put on the program that you have to do when you want to leave um, which is more interrogations and more physical labor. I wasn't made to do as much physical labor because I was pregnant, but everyone else was made to do very heavy physical labor. Um, And then I was able to complete that program, eventually got out and I was four and a half months pregnant. So that Mm -hmm. took another two and a half months. And then I waited for Chris and then he didn't get out until I was almost six or seven months pregnant. And so it just took forever. That that process was not slow. And then we finally left and we came to Clearwater because his family lived in Clearwater. But we were not allowed to live with Chris's family because they live too close to the flag land base, which and is- Wait, why is that? What, what, I don't understand. So the flag land base was only 20 minutes from their house. And we okay. were told that since we are ex-Sea Org members- um, you know, which kind of puts a stain on us, even though we're not ex-Scientologists, uh-huh. we need to stay away from the flag land base and not be anywhere near it. Basically, I guess the idea is to continue to keep the PR and facade that everything's great and there's not all of these ex-Sea Org members leaving who witnessed things and saw things to kind of keep us far away from where the active quote-unquote Scientologists were participating and doing courses. So we were told we had to live within one hour driving distance from the flag land base. Even though we could have lived for free with my in-laws, we weren't allowed to stay there. So we were forced to find an apartment an hour away and we had no money. We just left the Sea Org. We had right. nothing. So, so what it did would you have do? Been... So we found an apartment in Trinity and Chris got a job working for a tree trimming company that his, you know, cause his family was in good standing with Scientology and, and they had friends that were Scientologist with local businesses. So he got a job working for a Scientologist that had a tree trimming business. Okay. So So wait, now just so people don't know, the flag land base is located in Clearwater, Florida. And the flag land base is basically um, labeled as the Mecca of Scientology. This is like the, supposed to be the Disneyland of Scientology. This is where all the top spenders go to get onto their confidential levels of Scientology, the big ones anyway, right? Uh, You can do up to a certain level in Los Angeles and uh, that's it, right? Mike is Los Angeles. No, and in Sydney and UK and and Copenhagen and South Africa. But in order to, to get to the top of the Scientology bridge to total freedom, you have to go to Clearwater and the flag land base. And okay. like you say, it yeah. it is it is the pretense is that this is the ideal world of Scientology. This is the the pinnacle of where Scientology is at its finest and its its finest accomplishments and finest people are all on display there. And this weird thing of ex Seorg members not being allowed to live mm-hmm. In Clearwater, mm-hmm. it has been around for a long time. I don't even know when it first started, but 
that I think that the original idea was we don't want these people ganging up and banding together. So we got to keep them spread apart because if they gang up and band together, they may get bad ideas and may talk to one another about what their experiences were. Right. Like if somebody knew Christy and Chris and the Sea Org, they'd be like, wait a minute, you were like in upper management. What are you doing in civilian clothes? Why are you in civilian spaces? Like what happened? Yep. It would make people wonder what's happening. And you'd be like, oh, <laughs> I got pregnant because you couldn't tell the truth. Like shit is going down in Scientology and the upper level, starting with David Miscavige on down. There's beatings going on. They don't want you talking. So that makes right. sense. But what what doesn't make sense? I mean, it makes sense to somebody who is also brainwashed and un- understands this this nuts this 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 crazy crazy um, theology. I mean, I but but for people like they're wondering why was your family okay with this? Why was your why were you guys okay with it? And you you guys just need to understand that you're not ready to walk away from the only family you know. You don't have a network of people who are there ready to help you. So you have to rely, unfortunately, on your Scientology parents and you ha- and your Scientology friends, and you have to toe the line or you're just homeless. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. And, yeah. and, and the family, if they have all sorts of Scientology tentacles into them, you know, like Chris's parents mm. were very, very active Scientologists. His mother was the the executive director of the Tampa Org. Mm. Like, uh-huh. so they can't just they can't break all the Scientology rules. They have to stick to the protocols too. So it's like this: all these these webs of yes. control mechanisms that. Right that circulate around this environment. It's why I call it a bubble. Yes. Because within that bubble, mm-hmm. it's a completely different world. It's it's like that Jim Carrey movie. I can't even remember what it's called now. But it, it's like this phony world with all these rules and regulations, and people mm-hmm. believe that those rules and regulations are actually reality. Right. And they're not. Right. In in the real world, those rules and regulations, everybody looks at and just laughs or, right, right. or you know, slaps themselves on the head or goes, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. How could anybody be involved or believe this or go along with it? And, you know, it this is how the world of a cult is. Right. And we, you know, I've been, as we talked to Mark, Vicente and you see it in Nexium. That was like a classic example of yes. a world that is created that everybody in it is in agreement that this is reality. And right. it's wow, it's crazy. And just like the world of Scientology, it's crazy. Right. So, Christy, did your parents, your parents, or Chris's parents ever ask you guys why you left the Sea Org? Were they not interested in the abuses that you were receiving? I mean, certainly your mother knew at 16 that you were working all-nighters and being deprived of an education. And here you are uh, over a decade later, two decades later, (laughs) leaving the Sea Org. Uh, None of them asked their children what happened? 
No, they didn't really ask for details. And mm. probably because most of them were also doing the upper levels of Scientology themselves. So, mm. you know, all of our family were on the OT7 level, the operating Phaeton level number seven, which is like one of the highest levels you can do in the counseling on the right. bridge. Right. And so they were all doing that level, all of our parents, his parents, my parents. And on that level, you get a six-month interrogation. Check, asking, yeah, because OT7, just everybody knows, takes 10 years or more to do. And you have to do it every day, meaning you have to counsel yourself every single day, five times a day. Um, and you have to report to the Mecca flag every six months, like Chrissy is saying, to get a interrogation to see if you've been doing it right, to make sure you're not on the internet, to make sure you're not looking at anything that you shouldn't be looking at. And they ask questions about, they ask questions about, you know, do you have any bad intentions towards David's Miscavige? Like they ask Mm -hmm. all these questions. And so my parents didn't want to be, they didn't want to have anything in their brain that they would then have to say in this interrogation. So they didn't want to know. Scientologists feel like they have to confess like, yes, my dog, they believe that the meter, the Scientology lie detector can read your mind. Right. So they don't want, they're like, don't tell me, don't tell me anything. Don't tell I mean, me. my they, mother used to say that to me. Yes. Like when she was at Flag, she used to tell me, Leah, I can't afford this because they charge you thousands and thousands of dollars. You're not allowed to stay in a regular hotel. They force you to stay at their hotel. They force you to eat, pay for their food. You can't eat outside. You can't. So my mother would say, don't tell me anything if you're having any hard times in Scientology. I, I cannot, I cannot stay another day. I cannot afford this. Like they get petrified to hear or see anything that would cause them more time in Scientology. Exactly. So they didn't ask any questions. They didn't want to know the details. Okay. So now you and Chris are going along. You're trying to build a life after leaving the Sea Org. You have your son, Shane. And what happens after that? So um, Chris is still... Chris had a lot more doubts about Scientology than I ever did. And that's one of the things that makes me feel so thankful that he was ever in my life. And, you yeah. know, we're, we're still friends because we co-parent um, with my son, Shane. I just and- want to say that you are not just friends. What I have witnessed between you guys is amazing. <laughs> like, you guys have an amazing relationship. And then with Mike, Mike with your ex-husband, and and Shane, I mean, you guys vacation together. You guys you, uh, house sit each other's house. Like, you guys have an amazing, amazing relationship. You set such a beautiful example to to those who maybe don't are not the best examples and don't have uh, their children um, at the forefront of their mind. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing what you're creating for for your children to see. That you, no, Leah. we're not married anymore, but we all love each other. And you don't just, Mike, you don't just uh, tolerate Chris. Chris doesn't just tolerate you. You love no. each other. You're family. Yes. Yeah. And and I and I I'm glad you brought that up, Leah. And thank yeah. you for doing so because yeah. Chris is a wonderful dad. Like, yeah. you, he is a terrific father, and he treats Jack. Christian, my son, yeah. like his own son. 
Right, he Jack sleeps over at Chris's house when you guys leave town. Right, <laughs> it's like yeah. we 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 literally have a terrific relationship, and that is not just on us. That's also on Chris and his mm-hmm. new wife, who yes. we adore, and yeah. so we're all get along very very well. And it's good. It's good for the boys, of course. Right. Yeah, it's good for all of and us. I, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and and this was not something that was taught to any of you. Um, in Scientology to to be this loving and open-hearted and for what you have all experienced, meaning Mike, Christy, and Chris, what you witnessed in Scientology was anti all of this, was anti-family, was anti-empathy, compassion, love. This was not taught to you by your own parents. You did not receive this from your parents. Um, and so this is something that was innate in all of you, which, you know, Mike says a lot, you know, there, there was that piece of humanity that was left somewhere in you that, which enabled you to leave, right? right. And start looking and disagree with, with what's going on there. And so as a family, I just, I, I want to praise what you guys have done because I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You set such a beautiful example. So anyway, go ahead. Thank you for saying that, Leah. You're welcome. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to remember where I was. So, so Chris so, and I So Chris were... was like done. Chris was like, I'm yeah, not even wanting exactly. to fuck with Scientology anymore. That's right. I don't even want to pretend to be yeah. connected to this organization anymore. Yeah, he, he just did not get anything really out of it. You know, sometimes mm. some of us have these like mediocre, what we call wins or gains or mm. some, some piece of goodness we got out of some part of Scientology. He just mm. felt kind of like he never got anything out of it at all whatsoever mm. and wanted really nothing to do with it and started uh, looking into things and Googling things and looking on the internet <laughs> and ta- eventually talking. To, he actually secretly went and met with Marty Rathbun and told me he was going on a business trip. He lied to me and I suspected it. And he came home and I said, did you just go visit Marty Rathbun? (laughs) And he said, yes. And at the time, Christy, you're talking about Marty Rathbun was being very vocal about his own crimes that he had committed while in Scientology at the behest of David Miscavige and was telling his story not only to the press, but to the authorities. Right, Mike? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, he was a big whistleblower at the time. Yes, he was like since, the biggest whistleblower yes. that ever left Scientology. So for all of us little kind of freshly out ex-Sea Org members, this was a big deal because sure. we knew who he was. We right. we had seen him. We had worked with him. He was the right-hand man under David Miscavige. And it was like for us, we were like, Marty Rathbun left? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And right. so it was a big deal to us. And so sure. Chris secretly spoke to him. And what that meant to me was, that Chris was done, a hundred thousand percent done, and willing to speak to people that are quote unquote on the dark side or people right. who were enemies were to Scientology. Enemies, uh, yes, enemies exactly. to Scientology, yeah. And and I hadn't yet spoken to Marty myself um, because, like I said, I was trying to keep my family together and I had to follow the rules and, and mm-hmm. remain in good standing. But Chris kept telling me more and more about the things that Marty was telling him, which were very revealing, you know, new information, just like, oh, my God, there's so much more than we even know. Mm-hmm. David Miscavige beats people. David Miscavige 
spends all the, you know, he spends tons of money while meanwhile we're getting paid maybe 50 bucks a week. He's getting his shoes done by the same woman who makes the shoes for the queen of England or whatever, right. just like right. stuff like that. That's just blowing my mind. Like what? Right. And right. so eventually I said, okay, I want to talk to him myself. And I right. knew that when I made that phone call and I spoke to him on the phone, I was speaking with the enemy. And I knew right. as soon as I crossed that line, I was that done. you too, uh, that you too were the enemy, would that, be the enemy. That yes. was a moment that for yes. me was like this moment of like, I, do I want to cross this line? Do I actually want to do this? Because this is, this is the beginning of the end for me. And right. I did it. And I made right. the phone call and I spoke on the phone with him and I listened to what he had to say. And it was like, there was no turning back then. It's like, you, you know, right. s- you, you open the door and you know, okay, this is where my life yeah, well, changes. It's hard to, it's hard to negate the truth. Exactly. Yeah. So, so after you did that, so you, and then uh, by the way, just to also, just to inform you, Marty Rothbun is no longer no. telling the truth about Scientology. He has now gone back into the fold of Scientology and is now yeah. attacking all of us. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so your parents then disconnected from you. Uh, why? Did you do something public? Chris told too many friends that he was talking to Marty because okay. um, he was, I guess, excited. And um, he mentioned to one of his friends that I was planning a trip to L.A. to talk everything over with my parents. Right. And this was a I hadn't told my parents that I was just coming to visit. They thought I was just coming to visit, but I was planning to talk to them and kind of give them all the new information that I had right. and see if I could get them to understand my point of view or leave um, with you. Right. Or leave and leave with, with me, yes, leave yes. with me, understand. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to talk to them. Yeah. Um, and so that kid, that friend, that one of the guys that Chris spoke to reported us to the office of special affairs, the division of Scientology that uh, takes care of enemies and deals right. with enemies. So we were reported. Mike, and, Mike's former, former office that he yeah. was the head of. Yes. Exactly. Ahead. Twisted little world we live in. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. So anyway, so so those people from the Office of Special Affairs contacted my parents. And um, I get a phone call from my my mom or my dad. I can't remember which one first called me. But one of them called me and said, um, Osa is on the way to the house to come and see us. And they say that you and Chris are talking to, you know, bad people and they're coming here to tell us all about it and what's going on. And so this is my chance. Like, I'm not expecting to have this conversation with my parents on the phone. I'm expecting to have it in person on the weekend when I fly over there. I'm flying out on Friday. This is like a Tuesday or something. And now all of a sudden, and it's seven o'clock at night and my little two-year-old is tired and crying and he wants me to put him to sleep. And I'm a mom and I'm like... And now here's my mom and dad going, they're on their way. They're coming here right now. What's going on? And I, this is my chance. This is it. I, this is my only chance to salvage my, you know, I'm, a, I'm about to lose my family is what I'm afraid. Like instantly I'm like, holy shit, Osa's on their way. They're going to tell them that we're talking to Marty Rathbun. They're going to tell them we're bad and they're going to disconnect from me. And I tried my best. I had, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour maybe to try to give them all this information and I'm a nervous wreck, and um, I don't know what 
things to say and not to say. I don't know what they're going to believe. And I'm just trying to say whatever I know. And my dad's like, well, this all sounds really weird and crazy. And I don't know what you're talking about. And eventually I said, well, I have to go because Shane is like literally crying and ready for bed, super tired. So I get off the phone. I put my kid to bed. And then when it, when I next speak to them, Osa's there, I can tell everything has changed. And now they're basically, they've been indoctrinated. They know what's going on. They know that Chris and I are on the dark side and they're, they're, they were kind of given like one or two chances to try. They were given chances to try to handle us now. Now, now they're trying to handle me and Chris. Mm. So they basically said things to me like, you know, you need to come here. You need to speak with Osa, um, you know, please just come home, honey, and we'll sort this all out. You know, the kind of things that parents say when they think you're, you know, doing something bad and it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Just come here and talk to us. Okay, please. Mm And, and, and I said, well, I don't want to talk to Osa. I want to talk to you. I will come and talk to you. And they said, well, you're going to have to talk to Osa when you come. And I'm like, hell no, I am not going anywhere near those people. And so I canceled my flight and that was it. Like the, the, the conversations didn't go anywhere because they weren't really willing to listen. Osa was there physically present. And, um, eventually my mother, oh, and when I was trying to enlighten her and say things to her that I knew she was doing what you said, your mother did. Don't tell me that. I don't want to know that. I don't want to hear about that. Don't right. tell me that David Miscavige beats people. Uh, 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 shh, stop. Mm. And it was like, mom, this is what's, this is the truth. No, 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 no. I can't have that in my head. I don't want to, I don't want to know that. And so, um, it was, it was not, I just, I didn't really have much time. I didn't really, it didn't really go how I wanted it to go. And that was the end of it. And I, I said to my mother, are you going to disconnect from me? And she said, if they tell me that I have to, I will. I don't want to, but if they tell me that I have to, I will. And so at the end of the day, that's it. She wasn't going to stand up. She wasn't going to fight. She wasn't going to, um, you know, she wasn't going to do it. She just right. was like, okay, here, there goes my daughter. They told me I have to. Right. So they're in charge. And it was over. And they disconnected. And what? So both your dad and your mom disconnected. And what about Chris's family? Chris's family did not disconnect. They um, they left Scientology. Did kind they? Of, they did. Yes, they left oh, Scientology. Wow, both of them. Yep, his both. Wow. His mom, yeah. And what do you think the difference is there? That why one set of parents decided we're with our kid, and because you know that's not like we spoke about at the very beginning. Familial ties. Uh, Maternal feelings, paternal feelings, they are just not there and nurtured in Scientology families. I think that the difference is that Christine, which is Chris's mother, was also on staff, like Mike mentioned. She was the executive director of the Tampa Church of Scientology, the the local smaller non-Sea Org org, but still a Scientology organization. And she had her own trouble there and her own bad experiences as a staff member that led her to say that there's something wrong here. And my parents did not. My parents did work in Scientology in the earlier days, like in the 70s and the 80s. And so they were like, oh, these things happen. People come and go. Marty Rathbun is just another guy and whatever. Like they had whatever. They had all their ways of, of excusing it and saying that it wasn't anything new. Right. 
So your parents disconnect from you. Had they ever met their grandchildren? They met Shane maybe one or two times, um, you know, because I did have that, you know, first two years of leaving where I had Shane. Um, But they never met Jack. Um, Yeah, we came back. Your son with Mike. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My son, Jack, with with Mike. They never Mm -hmm. met him. Mike and I actually went there one time. Uh, when we were on a trip in LA and Jack was six months old and we went to the house, my parents' house, and I had Jack in my arms and we tried to um, connect with them. And I knocked on all the doors and I even knocked on the neighbor's door and they said, yeah, your dad's around. That's his car. He's right Mm -hmm. there. But he wasn't, he wasn't, he was hidden away. And, um, you know, we were pretty sure that Scientology had sent the private investigators ahead to tell my dad um, to be unavailable and not answer the door, go somewhere, take a walk or whatever. Um, So no, they've never met my other son. So they wouldn't open the door to you? No. Okay. And now a guy, so then what happens as far as your fair gaming? Because did you then go public with your story? Yes. Um, So in, I think it was the beginning of 2010, Mm. I was interviewed by the New York Times. Mm. Um, Actually, Chris and I were both interviewed. Uh, We were featured on the front cover of, I think it was the front cover. Was it, Mike, the front cover? Yeah, it was was the front page of the Sunday New York Times. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so they did a story about us um, leaving leaving Scientology. Um, At the time, I I didn't leave the faith, quote unquote, right? I just Mm -hmm. left the Sea Org. So I was still trying to be a good Scientologist. Um, Even after my parents disconnected from me, I still didn't completely give up the faith. I was still Mm -hmm. sort of a believing Scientologist because these things took, it was like an onion, you know, you peel away the layers. Yes. And so at that point, I was still a believer of, you know, some parts of Scientology. So Mm -hmm. the interview, the interview kind of focused on how, how I left Scientology, how I left the Sea Org, how I lost my family, but I was also still a believer. Um, okay. And and then that led to being interviewed by the Today Show, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. so I sat in front of Matt Lauer and he interviewed me, um, and I shared a bit more about my story. Um, and so that was kind of a big deal. I mean, that, mm, yes. for for me, I had never done anything like that before. So you start doing press before the press part. Were you and Chris? separated okay so my parents disconnected from me um but chris's parents did not they were so they your your relationship is still intact there yes with them and then about six months later or so chris and i split up and we were no longer together um, but amicably, like you guys yeah, are still? Yeah, yeah. relatively amicably. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the beginning, it was a little bit harder. You know, we yeah. kind of had to work through things. Sure. Um, but we split up. And so I, at that point, I was a single mom alone with a two-year-old. I'd lost mm-hmm. my parents and now also lost my husband. Right. And I didn't have a lot of friends. And I didn't know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really starting over from scratch, from like the bottom of the bottom. Yeah. Um, and... Right around then is when I met Mike Mm. and a friend, a mutual friend who was an ex Sea Org member introduced Mike and I, and Mm -hmm. uh, we started spending a lot of time together. We had a lot in common, obviously. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of our relationship. And love was born. 
And, you know, shortly after we got together, Christy, you were on the front page of the Sunday edition of the New York Times talking about the disconnection that you had been through. You got interviewed by Matt Lauer on the Today Show following that New York Times and then also by Anderson Cooper. So you sort of went out into the world as someone speaking out about Mm -hmm particularly at that point, the abuses of disconnection in Scientology mm-hmm. and to some extent the the abuses ongoing through David Miscavige. But uh, you, were, you and me still were, quote, practicing Scientology. Like we thought that there was still value in, you quote, still, the You guys thought technology. that there was still a, uh, still a pureness to the actual technology of Scientology independent of the organization, like Marty That's Rathbun. That's exactly right. That's right, exactly and there was a whole movement out there, individual, uh, what is it? Uh, independent, independent Scientology. Independent Scientology. So you guys are still somewhat believers, although you can't be a believer of Scientology without the organization. They don't allow it. They, right. I mean, you cannot practice Scientology outside the organization, which, again, when people say it's like any other religion, really? So you're not allowed to pray outside of a church or a synagogue? <laughs> well, in Scientology, you're not allowed to practice Scientology outside of Scientology without paying them. You cannot practice Scientology without being seen as an enemy right. from the organization. Right. Exactly right. So, exactly right. right. So is that when the fair gaming began, Christy, when you started being vocal and, and doing press? Because Scientology knows what you're saying is true. They just don't want you speaking about it. I think so, yeah. I, I, I mean, there was some then, and then I think it got even more ramped up when, I, of course, when I became the better half of the Mike Rinder um, couple, yes, as okay. Mike so would what, say. What, what started <laughs> happening? So what, so what was the... Uh, what is the, uh, you know, that's funny that you guys say that because most people that meet me and Angelo go, oh, like they meet Angelo and they love him and then they meet me and they're like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Poor Angelo. Oh, dear. Poor Angelo. Okay. So, uh, so what, ha- what, what starts happening? Tell us about the fair gaming that start, that sort of happened because a guy was sent to your house yeah. um, to try to handle you, right? Who was that? So Mike was out of town and they specialized in doing this when Mike was out of town. So he would be, I don't know what, where he went. Maybe he was, where did you go, Mike? Do you remember? I'm sure. Mike was doing press. Mike was talking to the authorities. When I went to Texas to help Debbie cook. Okay. So there you go. So Mike was always doing, you know, Mike was always in on the action. And Mm -hmm. so they would send somebody to talk to me, especially when he was out of town. So this guy shows up at the house um, and he knocks on the door and I open the door and he says he is a, a volunteer with OSA. So okay. the Office of Special Affairs that we've already mentioned. So he's a volunteer with OSA and he's sent here to to try to handle me. And he basically started in ta- telling me how I'm a squirrel, a squirrel being s- the Scientology term for somebody who leaves Scientology and still tries to use the the technology like we were sort of doing outside Mm -hmm. of the church. And so he was telling me I'm a squirrel and there's still hope for me if I change my ways and I go back to the fold, you know, and leave Mike and, you know, make up the damage. I could still, you know, get back into good graces and be with my family, my parents and whatever. 
And I just said, no, thank you. Goodbye. Close the door. Um, But of course it scared me. And I was at the time, this is the first time that something like that happened. So I called Mike and um, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I think you said something like, you know, if this happens again, call the police. If anyone else comes to the house and you're alone and they're coming to bother you or talk to you or harass you or say anything to you like this, call the police. So he left. He didn't come back. Uh, He didn't. That specific guy didn't bother me again. Um, But that was kind of the first thing. And I was like, okay, this guy's he comes to the house when Mike's not here. Following that, um, there were other things. So the next time it happened, I was um, at. I think I was like getting a blood test done, you know, for the doctor for my annual checkup or whatever. And so I was at LabCorp where they do these blood tests or they where they draw your blood. And I finished and I walked out the door and I was getting into the going to the car and Jim Lynch, who was at the time the uh, Freedom Magazine reporter, which is the Church of Scientology's um, magazine magazine that they... Yeah, it's a hate magazine, exactly, where they talk about people like us, the enemies, quote unquote. And Jim Uh, Lynch is a pretended reporter for this pretended magazine. That's exactly right. He was. But, and his job is to harass you, to try to get a rise out of you. They have cameras, and it looks like he's legit, and it causes a scene, and people, and they say horrible things like, how do you feel about being under investigation for child molesting? And they try to throw out these. (laughs) crazy um, accusations so that people hear that and there's a camera crew there and it looks legit. And that's exactly what he did. He literally jumped out of the bushes. Like I didn't know he was there. I'm walking along and this man jumps out of the bushes and sticks a microphone in my face and there's a, a two or three other guys there and one with a camera and it's like in my face. How do you feel about blah, 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 blah. And what do you think about being investigated by Scientology mm-hmm. blah, 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 or whatever he said? I can't remember the words, yeah. but it was very shocking. And I'm, I'm just by myself walking down the road. Like, who is this guy? What does he want? It was very, um, just, well, it's yeah. alarming. It's alarming. You're being stalked. <laughs> you're being harassed. Uh, you're being slandered. If anybody's standing there listening to it. I mean, it's, it's all of those things. Yeah, the stalking part is is you just put a pin on it. They know yeah. where I am. Like, right. they're following me. They know where I am to even know to come here. Like, right. what the hell is that? Like, he, they are obviously following me or there's a tracker on my car or something because they know right where I am and they jumped out of the yes. bushes. And it's disconcerting and it's scary. Yeah. And it's scary for a female. It's scary for a male. It's, it's scary. Why don't you tell the story about Nick Lister? I mean, that story is mostly Mike. I Mike put this on the list. I I actually hit, had no contact with Nick Lister, mm. but Nick tells this. Where did he tell this, Mike? Maybe you should tell this I story. Re- I don't remember. I I don't remember. But just the the in addition to this guy that was sent to mm-hmm. the house when I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, this. This kid called Nick Lister reported that he had been pulled in to OSA flag and and as a part of his amends project, because he was trying to get back into good standing or something at the time, he was instructed or asked by Kathy True of OSA 
to go while I was out of town and attempt to seduce Christy. And this was the way that he described this. Right, but yeah. Nick, just, Nick Lister has obviously since left the Church of Scientology, which is why we know the story, because he told the story. Right, Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. But, but it's just indicative of, and, and given my history and experience, mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me. That is exactly the sort of thing that gets done seeking to target that which is most important or which you are seeking to protect or split apart those people who are allies, who Mm -hmm. are supportive of you. Mm -hmm. And it, it just goes along with this idea of intimidation we're going to do anything we can or anything that we think we can get away with Mm -hmm. to make it so that you want to stop talking about what you know happens in Scientology. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the essence of everything that goes on with these fair game activities is to ultimately have you as a dismissed attacker, as we've talked about so many times. It's either gathering information about you or doing things to you that you, that they believe will cause you to stop talking. Right. And by the way, this story of Nick Lister, you could find this online. I mean, I've seen him uh, tell the story and I seen the video where he admits to this happening. Um, But, but yes, you're right. They want to destroy everything possible and they go, they'll use any Avenue to do so. Did Nick ever try to seduce you? No, I never heard from Nick at all, but, but I think this was just him saying he was asked to do this. Okay. And then after that, uh, so you've been followed everywhere. I mean, this is well-documented. And then uh, you and Mike uh, buy a house together, right? You bought a house in Clearwater, somewhere close to Clearwater, Florida, yeah. right? We didn't buy that yeah. house, but we, yeah, we had a home in, we, in Tarpon we, Springs. We rented a house in Tarpon Springs, which okay. was, and, yeah. which, which was where you remember Sierra Westerman, who came on to the aftermath, who was a yes. private investigator, and she yes. said she lived in this house. That was across, like sort of across the street from where we lived. And she sure. came and put GPS tracking on our cars and noted down the license plates of everybody that came in. And there were cameras on that house. Well, Sierra Westerman was not the only person that resided in that house. Right. When she left, another woman moved in and mm-hmm. her name was Heather McAdoo. And she was and, placed there by so so these women were were placed there by Scientology. Scientology spent their tax exempt money to rent this house, buy, uh, pay for surve- uh, surveillance cameras and these GPSs. Hired this these PIs, these piddly PIs, but they they were paying good money to to watch you two twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Absolutely correct. Okay. And, and this and and. The the story of Heather McAdoo is a, a, even more convoluted than Sierra Westerman mm-hmm. because Heather McAdoo was actually sent in to become an agent provocateur. She didn't just watch. She mm-hmm. was sent and set up to engage, particularly Christy. Um, and I will let her tell the story. In fact, Christy wrote a or I wrote an article mm. about this on my blog that I'll have a link to 
but she can just give you the sort of overview of it. I was walking in the neighborhood with my son and my dog and I run into this lady and she has a little boy and we chatted and said hello and I ran into her a couple times. And so, you know, just being neighborly, eventually we start um, becoming more and more friendly with each other um, until one day she invites me. She leaves me this little cute envelope. It says neighbor on it and invites me to her pampered chef party at her house. Um, and at this time, I'm like eight months pregnant, seven or eight months pregnant with Jack. And um, I I don't go to the pampered chef party because I forget all about it. And I feel so bad that I Mommy call brain. her. Mommy brain. Everybody gets this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I feel bad. Brain, yeah. I feel bad that I didn't go and that I didn't call her and or that I didn't do anything. So I call her because um, she gives me her phone number in the invitation, and I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't come." And I, you know, I know I mentioned I thought I was going to come and I couldn't make it, and I'm pregnant, and I'm tired, and this and that, and maybe we can have a play date with the kids one day. And so now she has my phone number, and so um, then begins the incessant texting. In the beginning, it seemed okay. She would just text and say, hey, let's get together with the kids. She had a little boy that was the same age as Shane, and we can um, hang out. And I thought, oh, this is nice. You know, I have a friend in the neighborhood who has a son the same age as my son, and isn't that sure. nice? And I didn't have a lot of friends because I just left the sea, or, you know, not just, mm-hmm. but I was still making new friends in the world. Yeah. And building a life, yeah. Exactly. And so, um, so I go to her house one time. She comes to my house we're three houses apart, so that's easy, and we hang out. And um, but I'm starting to get a couple of like weird vibes from her. She says things that are sometimes odd, like specific details that she brings into the conversation that just kind of put up my spidey senses a little bit. Like she mentions, you know, that she's very health conscious and that her um, her boyfriend or her ex boyfriend is a lot older than her. And I'm thinking, is she saying these things so she can be more like me, so that she thinks we can have things in common? Because she and what's she trying to say? Mike's old. Yeah, that, yeah, that she knows that Mike is, <laughs> you know, bitch. Mike. Mike is a little <laughs> bit older than me, <laughs> not by much, but you know, um, my husband's way older than me. Go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, there were these these little things, and it was like, um, you know, I don't remember. Oh, another time she was like, oh, I love game nights, and I'm like. How does she like? Does she, does she know I like game nights? Like, like how does she pick these things out about right. me that she these, says? These are things that you were doing. Th- these are like you, know, you would I, have game nights. I mean, yeah, you know, I love yeah. game nights, and I would right. have game nights with my friends. And yes, my right. my boyfriend at the time was a little bit older than me, and yes, mm. I was kind of health conscious or whatever. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. She just thought right. these were the things to say. And they almost struck me as odd. And so anyway, this continued though. And like little tiny things. But then I thought, oh, maybe she's just kind of socially awkward or I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe she doesn't, maybe she doesn't know how to, you know, I, I, I tossed it off as whatever. I was trying to be nice. She was also a single mom. So Mm -hmm. I felt my heart went out to her and I wanted to be nice and be a friend and stuff like that. Um, and so, but then we decided, then we started moving actually. So we were packing and moving to a new house in a new neighborhood. And, um, she offered to help us move. She, she came over all the time. Like she tried to come over, knock on the door or whatever, and we'd be too busy. And I was trying to like kind of withdraw from her because of the, she would text so much and so often. 
And when I when I say that, I say it like it was a socially inept type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're texting someone and you don't, they don't answer, you kind of mm-hmm. like give them a break. You don't text mm-hmm. them more. Like she would do stuff like that that was weird. Mm-hmm. That just made me think there's something wrong with this girl. Um, but um, before, you know, I really figured it out, I, I even invited her to my baby shower. Mm-hmm. So she shows up at my baby shower with gifts, mm-hmm. way too many gifts, mm-hmm. like three or four gifts. I'm like, she's a single mom. Why is she spending all her money on gifts for me? Like yeah. three or four gifts, like more gifts than anyone else. Um, yeah. It was weird. And then, uh, so we're packing, we're moving, we move to our new house. And she suddenly says, oh, guess what? I'm moving too. Um, and I'm looking for a place to move. And I think I want to move. I might consider moving to Palm Harbor, which is the town that we just moved to. Right. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is Mike. And I at, the, at this point, one day, Mike and I are walking with the dog. And I tell him the whole story from beginning to end, like yeah. all the details, like every single text message. Like, this right. is what's happening. Mike, do you think she's a plant? Do you think she's been sent in on me mm-hmm. to become my friend? Mm-hmm. And Mike, you know, is like, well... Maybe, maybe not. And, you know, so what? If you can't do anything about it, what? don't worry about it. That's Mike's mm-hmm. normal, like... Yeah, I know. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is a big yeah, deal. Yeah, the underreaction from Mike is <sighs> yes. so annoying. I know. Because you want to hear him go, these motherfuckers. <laughs> well, I'm like, this, I need an answer. I need to know. Let's it's record Mike. this confronting her and like, getting her on tape. And he's like, hey, yeah. Yeah. And like, if she's a plant, I need to know. I need answers. I can't have a plant in my life. And he's like, well, what, you know, what what do you want to do? Anyway, so, um, okay. So that was that. So we have the conversation. So then she does move to our neighborhood, Leah. She moves moves to our neighborhood. She moves from one neighborhood to the next following us. Right. And I'm like, oh my God. Mike, did you think it was weird then? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. Mike, yes. did you have any reaction yes. to this? Yeah. At that point, we're like, "This is she's a plant. Like, okay. this woman is a goddamn plant for yeah. sure. She's a single mom. Supposedly doesn't have a job. Doesn't have any money. She's moving. Also, the house she moved into was more expensive, bigger, fancier, swimming right. pool, everything. Like than our house. And she's and how her, close was it to your house, Mike? Uh, like two streets uh, or three streets away. Yeah, two streets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Three. Yes, three streets away. Exactly. Wow. Right. Um, it was yes, just and like, how is she affording all of this? Again, she, Scientology tax exempt money at work. Folks. Exactly. Yep. Go ahead. So, okay. So to carry on, um, eventually I decide I'm going to confront her. Okay. I am going to, I've, I've stopped texting her. I've, right. I don't I have anything to do with her. And she continuously texts me. Right. Oh, here's one more thing. She... I went out of town with Mike to L.A. on something he was doing. I don't know, talking to media people, doing media interviews, whatever. Three hours after we get home, we arrive. I get a text from her mm-hmm. like, like, oh, Christy and Mike just got home from L.A. We just saw them through our cameras, whatever cameras they're watching us on, because I'm sure there's cameras everywhere in the mm-hmm. trees, in the bushes. They just arrived home from, you know, L.A. from the airport. Text Christy. See if you mm-hmm. can find out anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she thinks I'm, does she think I'm a moron? Does she think, you know, at this point I figured her out, but I. Yeah, well, how I'm, long has it been? How long it, was this, this going on? I think, so I met her, like I said, when I was around eight, seven, eight months pregnant. So that's mm-hmm. like the end of the year. And then, mm-hmm. 
Now, how I long was say, this? A year, six months? No, no, like, no. What do you six months. Six, six months. months. About so six months. Been, so this had been going on for six months, and you six finally months. figure it out, and you confront her. So what happens? So eventually, I text her, and I say, I actually have the text still. Um, I say to her, Heather, you ought to find out more about the organization that hired you. I sincerely recommend you do some research. Here's a good place to start. And I send her a link. And so the link I sent to her was um, a news article about a former PI that came out and spoke out about, um, you know, having the realization that he was working for a criminal organization. Right, right. And his name was Bert Leahy. So mm-hmm. I sent her that. Because yeah. I wanted her to see, look, here's a guy just like you who yeah. realized he was doing something that was stupid and right. decided to do the right thing. Right. So read this. Okay. Um, and so she says, not sure how to take the info. I think you think I'm someone I'm not. Sorry, but whoever you think I am or working for is wrong. It freaks me out a little. Sorry we couldn't be friends. Wow. And so I, I said, did you look at the link? Yeah. And she said, yes, what is all that stuff? Scary stuff. And so then I respond, um, if you looked at it, then you know what it is all about. It's not too late to redeem yourself unless you prefer taking money from a criminal organization that destroyed my family and many others. I can help you if you want it. Mm-hmm. And she says, sorry for whatever happened to your family, but I really don't know what you are talking about. I work for Pinellas County Schools and started about three weeks ago. That's why your text freaked me out at first. I'm not who or what you think I am. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I mean, there's a little bit more. I don't know if you want me to keep reading that. Yeah, but. go ahead. Is there okay. anything? I mean, Mike's saying no, but what? What is there anything? There's, I think there's one more. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just said, I guess you're not made of the same courage and integrity that Bert Leahy is made of. If you change your mind, let me know. Have a nice life. I hope you sleep well at night. Wow. <laughs> so that was my, you know, confronting her. And I didn't hear from her after that. Um, shortly after that, we drove past the house to see if she was still there and we could tell that nobody lived there anymore. You know, once we blew, she moved out, once we blew her cover, she was gone. Um, fast forward four years later and Steve Kanan or Kanan, Steve Kanan, who you had on your podcast here, um, you know, told us what he mentioned in the podcast about that house and that PIs, private investigators, had lived there. Mm-hmm. And we went up and, and saw that. And, you know, and then fast forward even later, and she actually contacted me on Facebook through a private message and admitted to the entire thing. What'd she admitted she to it. She says, hi, Christy, you don't have to write back. Not sure you remember me, but I have to say I'm sorry to you and Mike for anything I have done knowingly or not knowingly to get information to the church slash cult about your beautiful family. I'm truly sorry. I'm doing well. And I'm proud to say I'm not part of that anymore. Heather. Wow. Wow. So what did you think when you saw that, Christy? I mean, vindication. (laughs) I was right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I had this suspicion for so long, but I was also, it's like this hard place to be in because you're also like, you don't want to be constantly suspect of every person you meet. You want to, you want to, you want to believe people are genuine and good and you want to make friends and get to know people and not have to worry that every person you meet is sent in on you from the Church of Scientology. And my goodness was being taken advantage of, but at least I felt in the end, like 
the the indicators that I saw and the red flags that I saw were accurate and that helped me to kind of build back up my my trust in my knowingness of like I was right. Right. Now did so did you ever write back to Heather McAdoo? I did. I answered her. I don't remember what I said. I, I don't have that right here, but um she she responded with more information. What did she have, say? Uh, so in a later me- in a later message, she said, um, Dwayne Powell was my boyfriend. So Dwayne Powell um, was a notorious private investigator who did a lot of work for Scientology. He and his son were arrested for having illegal weapons in the trunk of a car while they were surveilling Ron Miscavige Sr. David Miscavige's father. Exactly. Right? And that and that was that story was told on 2020. And we also had. Um, we also had him on our podcast and the aftermath. So right. and, you guys, and if you haven't one, seen that, you go ahead. And he wrote yeah. a book. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and one of his other yeah. girlfriends was Sierra Westerman. Mm-hmm. So and he would have the these. Other PI. Right. So he right. would have these girlfriends and then he would turn them into private PIs. investigators. And, and so, so what did she say? So she said that he was her boyfriend. Dwayne Powell was my boyfriend. Once I found out the truth about the whole situation and what was going on, I left. And I believe that's the time when you guys started catching on to everything too. One thing I do know now that back then I was not the only girlfriend, girlfriend for Dwayne Powell. He had many. Just know that I'm truly sorry. And if there's any information you want from me, I will give it. I just don't want to be on camera. <laughs> Funny, Leah, mm-hmm. we ran into Heather McAdoo. Christy and I went to a, a Dave Matthews concert, and mm-hmm. as we were walking out, she was standing there as one of the ushers. Wow. So we Did walked past, and Christy yeah. went, that's Heather McAdoo. So we went, we fought our way back against the tide of leaving people yeah. and went back and said, Heather, hi, do you mm-hmm. remember us? <laughs> yeah. And she was very she was very sweet. I, mm. I I must say she was exceedingly apologetic and sorry and you know she she was very very nice. Right. Okay, then Mike after this incident happens the uh, doctor's incident, right? Where you are accosted into in or, or no, is that not right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's a whole bunch of things that happen, Leah. I mean, well, Mike, that, I think you should run through those very quickly. Yes. So then, know, after that, did did things stop after this, Christy and Mike? No, <laughs> it just continues. So what happened, Mike? Close. Take us take us through a few of these. Well, what your we lives had, we have had been the, like the infamous doctors incident in the parking lot with my daughter and ex wife and. All the Scientology executives and private investigators. And, you know, Christy got involved in that because, you know, she was in the doctor's office and she and the doctor came out and were being screamed at too by my ex-wife and my daughter calling her a whore and various other things. It was like the crazy, the crazies let loose out of the asylum but Mike, you um, had been you had been uh, separated from your ex-wife when you left the Sea Org. How many years at this point? Uh, three. Three years. So you had never heard from your ex-wife since you had left. It was really only when you started doing press and you were people were starting to listen <laughs> that all of a sudden 
they were very interested in your whereabouts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so interested, Leah, that when Christy and I went to England mm-hmm. and to Ireland and to Australia, all of which related to either media or, or some form of appearance, mm-hmm. they followed us all the way there. I mean, literally, they put people on the planes to follow us. When we arrived in Dublin, I went Mm -hmm. to Dublin to speak at Trinity College. Uh, We were met by a contingent of screaming people with, with signs and shit outside, leave our country, we don't want you here, blah, 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 blah. Bigot, religious bigot. Bigot, blah, blah. When we were Mm -hmm. staying in England, they were picketing outside of the house we were staying in when we were in London they were following us to we went on a tour of the Tower of London and this guy followed us to the Tower of London and in fact the beef eaters ended up accosting him for being a nuisance in the Tower of London mm-hmm. and when we went to Australia they followed us to Australia and actually Brian Seymour put a bunch of that in the episode that he did, I went there to be interviewed by him, mm-hmm. and he, uh, you know, shows those PIs following us there. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, the Freedom Magazines, the websites, the... Going the, through your garbage, not allowing you to see your dying mother who was in an old age home you went to visit. They intercepted, they moved your mother so you couldn't see her before she passed. This is how far they were going. They're they're constantly harassing you, yeah. Constantly following you, and um, like you said, Mike, with websites, with their Freedom Magazine, with their now on Twitter, uh, they they're constantly attacking you now and yeah. uh, pretending that they're doing investigations about you and just putting in the idea that maybe there's something going on with you is enough, right? To that's the purpose of this mic, right? That's not that right. they can substantiate anything that they're saying. It's just that to put the the thought in someone's head that Christy is doing something unsavorable, yeah. right? Like that's enough my, for me. To hurt yes. my business. To hurt and my business. What do you business. do, Christy? What do you, you I, tell people what you do? I have a doula agency. So mm-hmm. um for people who so don't you know help, what it is. So you help women to to deliver their babies. Um, and you nurture and, and, the mother. That's what doula means, nurturing the mother. That's uh-huh. right. Yeah. yeah, we help women who are, um, we help them, you know, during labor. And then we also help them after they've had their baby, um, during the postpartum phase, learning newborn care, helping them, you know, with whatever they need at that phase of life because it's a, a very vulnerable time. Yes. Um, so it's emotional support, physical support, and education um, during labor and postpartum. And, and so. And- and and what's the name of your company, Christy? It's uh, Buddha Belly Doulas. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> so so yeah. listen, anybody doing business with Christy, um, know that she's a beautiful and decent person, and she is courageous. And if you get one of these calls from a pretended investigator, lawyer, private eye, know that it's Scientology attempting to fair game. This woman, once again, as if she hasn't survived enough. And uh, Christy, I I also want to add that um, your father, your father who you love very much, passed away, and he had been disconnected from you. 
and Scientology, including your Scientology mother, and uh, did not let you know that your father was had passed, correct? Yeah, I heard and, about it from a cousin, a distant cousin, like a, a sec. Yeah, anyway, my parents didn't, my mother didn't tell me, my brother and sister didn't tell me. I heard about it from a cousin. And so you were never able to say goodbye. And this is the kind of thing that Scientology engages in day in and day out. And let me tell you something, they're fucking proud of it. They are proud of it. It almost kills me to do a podcast. It almost killed me and you, Mike, to do the aftermath, to show the tears, to show the destruction because they watch this and hear this and they are so proud of themselves for all of this destruction, all of this pain, all of the money that they waste, that they've been granted tax exemption. Just so you know, again, People, uh, organizations, churches are granted tax exempt status because that money that they're not paying in taxes, they're doing, they're using to benefit the public. They're servicing the public in some way. That would mean, you know, feeding the homeless and being empathetic and showing compassion towards those who need your help. Well, they don't do any of those things. They engage in fair game with the money that they are saving from not paying taxes. And then they use the resources that they don't pay taxes for (laughs) to call on those of us who are doing the work. Mike, anything to add to that? No, Leah, you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, so Scientology, uh, go ahead, baby, go ahead, yeah, please. No, I I was just going to say, and, you know, I hope that people listening to this particular episode will understand that this is the modus operandi of Scientology to seek to shut people up. Right. But it hasn't worked. It has not shut us up. It will not shut us up. But people should be concerned that any, any organization, A, can get away with this sort of stuff, and B, can be subsidized by your tax dollars for doing so. Correct. And that's why we keep doing this. We okay. we want this to end. We want these abuses to end. We want disconnection to end. We want the tax exempt status yeah. of Scientology to end. We want fair gaming to end. Yes, we want people's lives to stop being destroyed. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time once again to tell your story and to continue to be brave enough to do so, because as people know, there is a price to pay for doing what you're doing. So thank you, Christy, and continued thank you, blessings. Thank you, Leah. Continue blessings, really. And that's the thing. You have to remember, you, we are all blessed. We're lucky. We're lucky to be able to have a platform. You're lucky that you found love. You're lucky that you have two beautiful, healthy sons, that you have each other, that you have created a life for yourselves that most people can't, that, well, that most people would admire, I should say, not can't, right? I certainly admire you too. I mean, I don't do half the shit you do with your kids. I mean, you want, I, you make me want to be a better parent. I mean, you, uh, every time Mike says, I go, where are you going today? Going to soccer, going to this, going to that. I'm like, oh my God. You took your daughter to Paris, Leah. That was awesome. I feel like that's enough for like 20 years. <laughs> 
You, yeah. you did some good stuff for her. Come on. I did. <laughs> I did take it to Paris. That wasn't just awesome. That was amazing. And London. Was, there and you London. go. Yes, yeah. I did. You're right. Damn it. I'm a great parent. You, you are. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. What What I think the, the thing that I do that is anti-Scientology is that I, I acknowledge her ups and downs in life and that I'm her champion, so much so that she has gone the other way and told me to stop talking to her teachers the way I do, stop sending the emails that I send, stop texting people. Like, I have become my daughter's, um, I fight for her because we were not, nobody fought for us as children. Right. And nobody fought for us even into adulthood. And so I think that's the one thing I am proud of is that she knows that her mother will always take her side. That's even awesome. if she's wrong. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's All right. Love that. Until next time. Thank, thank you, you again, Christy. Love you. Love you, love Mikey. You. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.